0: Welcome to Handmaids and Harlots, a weekly podcast that explores both The Handmaid's Tale and Harlots series produced by Hulu. This podcast is marked as heavy spoilers, as it will include episode by episode synopsis, as well as analysis of both shows and their written source material. The textual references for this podcast are The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood, Interviews, essays, analysis, and other available materials regarding Miss Atwood's book and forthcoming second installment, Testaments. Textual references for all Harlots-related podcasts will be taken from Hallie Rubinold's book, The Covent Garden Ladies, Pimp, General Jack, and the Extraordinary Story of Harris's Lists, as well as interviews, essays, analysis, and other available materials regarding Harlots by Hulu. Join me, Ray, and my co-host Kay as we watch, read, and discuss these two provocative and intelligent stories. As the show begins, we see a housemaid running through the gardens with a lamp. Her destination, an English country house where a conversation can be heard. Inside, a man, who we assume to be a father, bargains away his daughter in marriage. The maid enters the dining room where the speakers sit, and she whispers to the father that the daughter is in the stables. He makes a low joke about her being a horse mad and tells her suitor he expects him to tame her. The two men shortly enter the stables to find the object of their discussions, Catherine, engaged in riding indeed, but not upon a horse. Instead she gallivants while speaking a prayer atop the stable boy. Next we come upon Charlotte speaking in her matter of fact way about the life of a courtesan. As the camera pans back, we see she is in Isabella's parlor, addressing a group of women of the peerage who are clearly uncomfortable and resistant to hearing Charlotte's plight. Isabella tries to convince them, but Lady Ledson is most outspoken against it, and Charlotte leaves, considering the affair a failure. Isabella follows her out, saying it will take time, but Charlotte will hear none of it. While Charlotte attempts diplomacy, Lucy holds court upon the streets of Soho with a throng of would-be calls and other prostitutes. She's invented diversions and competitions to make the calls fight amongst themselves and squander money on her amusement so she does not have to take any one of them to bed. As she does, a new player on the board appears, a black woman with her adult son, watch as Lucy plays the crowd. There is clear admiration for Lucy in their eyes, but as to what end, we do not know yet. Back at the Wells house with Nancy acting as bouncer at the door, a group of men arrived and offer coin per entry. Nancy seems to have a bad feeling about them, but their coin is good and so she permits them entry on charlotte's walk home she spies emily lacy engaged in what she does best snark and swiving with the local gunsmith a man named chadwick passing them on she comes upon lucy and her revelers She stops to question Lucy about the night's affairs, laughing with and then gently chiding her sister over the to-do. When she arrives home, she finds her girls working, entertaining a group of men who had paid Nancy to enter. One seems to have been waiting for her and plies her with poetry. Taking an interest, Charlotte takes him to her bed. The scene shifts to Bedlam, where Lydia Quigley rots for her crimes. Today, she is to receive state-of-the-art medical care via the rotational chair. While she's fitted in, a doting Dr. Swindon informs some onlookers about the benefits of the chair, how it will induce evacuation from all orifices, which should realign Lydia's nerve endings and eventually cure her of madness. And while Lydia rides the rotational chair... Charlotte rides one of her own. In scenes of opposition, we see Charlotte and her call enjoy their ride, while Lydia is returned to her cell, where she vomits and begs for a bucket, wretched and alone. Lucy has ducked into the Saracen's head, hoping to avoid the final victor of her latest aversion. where she is greeted by Hal Pinscher, the apparent new proprietor. He is chill, rude even to her, until names are exchanged and Emily Lacey enters the scene, both complimenting and ribbing Lucy as the harbinger of death to the peer hal writes himself and then wanders off lucy and emily share pleasantries until lucy's call finally finds her and she is forced to go off with him back at the wells house charlotte seems well pleased with her bit of pole riding and she and the man whom we come to know as Isaac Pincher engage in pillow talk. It is here that Isaac tells her of his scheme to write a new list of prostitutes and to make her famous. Then he offers that he will take 25% of her tips and takings from her and all the girls of the Wells House for this. Charlotte calls him out as a pimp, though he cares not, and leaves with his men certain of his triumph. And then we find Charles, hidden away in a dark, bleak golden square. He is attended now only by cherry who does her best to cheer him but to no avail outside men approach the door and demand him to come out their debt collectors come to take him to debtor's prison he goes but manages to push past them and escapes into the night back at bedlam we find lydia recovered from her ride and the chair instead she is shackled to her bed dressed in dirty night clothes and reciting the tempest she is not raving it seems but attempting to keep her sanity fixed upon those things she remembers best perhaps to remember even herself into the this mix has brought Catherine, the stable boy rider from the first scene. We find out her father is a stepfather and that she calls him a hypocrite because it was he. Who introduced her to sexual behavior. He entrusts his mad stepdaughter to Dr. Swindon's care, and Lydia, seeing an opportunity, begins to make overtures of friendship to the girl. Far away in Isabella's drawing room, she sits with her daughter after the failed discussions between the bod and the wives. Sophia questions her about her father, to which Isabella gives her no relief. After Isabella retires, a servant whispers into Sophia's ear about the goings-on below. Far from scandalized, Sophia notes that her mother is unconventional, to which the male servant asks if she might be as bold then as her mother and caresses her arm back at the wells house charlotte and nancy discuss what is to be done about the pinchers they're uncertain the course but charlotte vows to fight them isaac returns to the tavern bragging to his brother about his coup against the famous charlotte wells bet harper aka elizabeth harvey and her son show up next at mrs may's house keen to establish a molly house in london they approach for financial backing she puts them on to golden Square stating it belonged to a relative and she would like very much to retain it. Bet and her son Frido make a deal with Mrs. May. They will bid upon Golden Square as it is coming up for public auction to meet Charles Quigley's debts. Once more in on Bedlam where Lydia continues with her recitation of the Tempest. She seems to forget a line which drives her into a near panic. Catherine steps in to provide a soothing Lydia and drawing them closer together. While Catherine may have forgotten surely Lydia did not. Catherine's accusations against her stepfather this is a bond the two share, though Lydia makes no mention of it. Emily Lacy and Hal Pinscher lay abed bed as it seems she's fallen in with him as an easy lover and pimp. She chides him for Isaac's bold move against the Wells girls, and Hal makes excuses for Isaac's rash nature. Isabella and Sophia arrive at the Ledsons' home to enjoy a social evening at their salon. However, they are turned away with concerns for Lady Lesson's moral sensibilities. Lord Ledson makes mention of Isabella's low estate and that there are rumors that Sophia Sophia is not her ward at all but a bastard we return to harriet's establishment the former domicile of charles and emily prior to their return to golden square it is here she prepares her girls to perform selections from shakespeare's antony and cleopatra one of the girls argues that their job is simply bed sport, to which Harriet retorts that she wishes only the finest of clientele and such men like a bit of thoughtful entertainment prior to their swiving. As Isabella and Sophia ride home in their coach, Sophia attempts to get her mother to address the situation, to finally divulge Sophia's father. Isabella is not about to do so, despite her daughter telling her she will not judge her for falling in love and indiscretion. It seems clear Isabella is more concerned for the truth that Sophia is a product of rape and ind- incest to be known than she is that she had a child out of wedlock night has fallen and charlotte rallies her girls leaving the house and passing by the enforcers that isaac has posted at the house's door she informs them that there will be no sport in the house tonight nor any night that they are there nancy remains at home to care for baby kitty as the others head out to the saracens head to confront isaac lucy arrives in their wake taking time to sit with nancy and share her thoughts on life she says that she's had her fill of tupping up men and find no joy in it says suggest it's a love that Lucy is after to which Lucy rebuffs before Nancy can refute it further, Lucy asks Nancy if she thinks she would make a good bod, and Nancy smiles while thinking of Margaret and nods, saying that Lucy would indeed make a fine bod. What we next see is Charlotte. She and all the other harlots have arrived at the Saracen's head. They tell Isaac he's got one last chance to leave off of them, to which he refuses. Cue the entry of Officer Armitage, who then arrests Isaac for a pimp. Charlotte and company leave, returning home to find Lucy in the parlor and Nancy and Charles. Charles asks for their help help getting lydia out of bedlam but none of them are sympathetic to this request in fact as he mentions he's lost golden square lucy's eyes lighten up with the hatching of a plan when we return to bedlam it is catherine who is suffering dr swindon's tensions she is forcibly dunked in cold water repeatedly as part of her treatment for the badness of lust that view is brief however for we are once more at harriet's establishment where she and her girls have just concluded their play for a group of seated peers one of which is lord Ledson who takes Harriet to bed he is posh but suffers a lack of manners or tact referring to harriet and her girls as dusky and marveling at their command of the bard back at bedlam catherine is dumped into her bed soaking wet and shivering she is morose about her situation musing that she shall surely die within its dank walls to which lydia cajoles her to keep heart to fight against the madness of the place and reserve herself for better things the idea inflames catherine and she suggests that lydia is indeed mad leaving bedlam we arrive at the graveyard where Fanny visits Kitty's grave. Baby Kitty is in her arms as she makes her prayers for her former friend's soul. When she turns to leave, she spies Charles sitting there on a bench, looking lost and forlorn. As usual, Fanny is kind, but not until a jape aimed at Lydia and then Charles excuses himself. Later, we enter Golden Square. It is auction day, and within are several prospective buyers, among them Lucy Wells and Bet and her son Fredo. The bidding begins, and soon the two want-to-be bods are locked into a bidding war that seems about to. End with others winning the house, but they join forces and fates pooling their money to offer the winning bid. While Lucy seeks her fortune, Hal is forced to spend a bit of his own to bail Isaac out of jail. On their return to the Saracen's head, Hal admonishes Isaac for his bold takeover of Soho. Angry, the two part, Hal back to the tavern, while Isaac malingers about the market square. He spies Fanny and little Kitty and approaches, making threats against Charlotte and the rest of the Wells girls. Lady Isabella, distraught about the rumors and gossip about her, goes to Bedlam thinking to confront Lydia as their source Lydia denies it points to the squalid conditions and the safety precautions about saying that if she had the opportunity, she'd sing her tale for all to hear, but locked away such as she is, she cannot. Moved by this, Isabella marks her off the list of possible sources, though she orders Dr. Swindon to dress Lydia appropriately, but never let the woman out of the place. She is eager to have Lydia suffer her charity, but not her freedom. We see standing off to the side of Lydia, Sal Charles, or perhaps it is not. He has appeared to Lydia previously, but not spoken to her. She worries that she is mad, seeing him this way bet leto and lucy discuss the nature of their business arrangement lucy is quick to say that she has no intention of being a prostitute any longer and Leto and Bet finally divulge their scheme to make Golden Square a Molly house with a gentleman's clothing emporium on the street level as cover, while the upper floors will be for entertainment. Outside the Saracen's head stands Emily and Charles, where Charles tries without success to beg a few coins off of Emily. She chides him, saying he had gambled all their monies away already and that she was not about to throw more money down a hole. Isaac interrupts their conversation, telling Charles he must pay for Emily's time or that Emily must go in and deal with the gunsmith. Chadwick, who is awaiting her tender ministrations. As Charles stands on the street defeated, the debt collectors spy him and he gives them chase. Fanny has returned to the Wells establishment where she recounts for Charlotte Isaac's threats. His men, too, are back at the door taking money off the calls as they arrive. Elsewhere, Emily mates up with Chadwick and in true survivor fashion, she negotiates herself a speedy exit from the pincher boy's employ by offering herself to Chadwick as his kept girl. She negotiates a sweet deal of tutoring in business and 25 pound a week Isabella arrives at the Wells house to find Charlotte and the girls out once more the group of them avoiding taking calls while still under the pinchers pimping instead Isabella speaks with Nancy of Quigley's sufferings Nancy shows no pity and explains just why questioning Isabella as to why she even went to Bedlam in the first place Isabella answers that she had hoped to put an end to the rumors about herself and Sophia Nancy advocates for taking the teeth out of the rumors by telling everyone the truth Isabella has wealth and health and should just own her sin and let those who might judge her hang back at isabella's home sophia invites an indiscretion with that handsome servant charlotte and all the girls in soho return to the saracens head once more to confront isaac this time she has written her own verse about him a satirical bit about him being a lying and cheating pimp who has no care for the women whom he minds she encourages his girls to revolt and fanny offers to buy them drinks at the boars Head instead the lot of women walk out leaving the pincher boys without harlots or culls emily returns to the tavern after them and insinuates herself into a heated conversation between the pincher brothers she tells them that they were foolish to stir up charlotte to which they tell her to mind her own business she informs them she has and that she's leaving them for a new keeper hal clearly upset by emily's leaving tasks isaac with fixing the situation isaac makes the joke that it is too late to give charlotte flowers and beg her forgiveness hal agrees but tells him to fix it any way he can in bedlam catherine questions lydia about isabella's visit and then about her past lydia is too happy to comply and we hear her begin her tale already weaving it with lies and subtle insinuations. On their way home, Charlotte and the girls pass Charles. Once more he is seated, looking lost and dejected, and once more Fanny approaches. First she asks him to join them for a drink and he refuses, and then she asks if he's eaten and he lies. Finally she gives him a few coin out of her bodice, telling him not to be too prideful to take her help. While the hirelets drink at the boar's head, Bet and Fredo meet with Mrs. May to show her the deed for Golden Square. Immediately Mrs. May is upset to see Lucy's name upon it with their own. Bet makes it clear that Lucy does not know of Mrs. May's involvement and that she judges Lucy as easy to control. Deciding to take Nancy's advice, Isabella enters the local gentleman's club only to find Lord Ledson with his friends in residence and Harriet bouncing upon Ledson's knee. While he attempts to censure her for her presence in the club, she interrupts him to acknowledge that Sophia is her daughter out of wedlock. He mocks her and she returns the favor before she leaves. Meanwhile, Nancy is once more at home caring for Baby Kitty while Fanny and the others are out. She sings the babe to sleep and Isaac approaches the house. He busts the first floor window open and tosses in a lit oil lamp then wanders away. On their way home from the boar's head, Charlotte and the girls pass Isaac as he leaves the scene of arson. Charlotte confronts him and tells him he could have had her free and easy. He seems either racked by regret or guilt and tells her to run on home. Continuing on, she and the girls cross paths with Lucy who is too returning to the Wells house. Lucy tells her sister that she is half owner of a Molly house to which Charlotte cautions her. Homosexual as a hanging offense, and procurers of such acts, like Lucy, would be just as likely to hang as those engaged. Lucy shrugs it off, calling it an adventure. When they all arrive back home, they find it on fire, Nancy trapped upstairs with baby Kitty. Charlotte and Lucy enter the house, rescuing Nancy and the babe. Standing outside as it burns, Lucy laments the loss, but Charlotte, feeling defeated, says to leave it burn, that all such houses should burn. Isabella returns home to find a note from Sophia, who has eloped with the servant boy, Charles too, takes those few coins from Fanny to effect his own escape and takes a carriage out of London. Meanwhile, in Bedlam, Lydia convinces Catherine to plot with her for their mutual release, and bet stands across the street from the Wells House upon the steps of Golden Square and watches well the Wells House burns. Good morning, folks, and welcome to our first episode of Handmaids and Harlots, but Harlots edition. Excitement. And don't let the numbers confuse you. It is for sure for episode one of Harlots, but it is episode nine of Handmaids and Harlots.
1: It is. We're not confused this time.
0: We aren't. We know what we're doing. For real. For real's. For reals. And I'm sorry about the length of the recap, but holy buckets! So many scene changes. So much stuff going on in this first episode. It was dizzying a little bit. I don't know about anybody else's take on it, but jeepers, creepers.
1: It was a lot. Even just a rewatch for me it was just dizzying.
0: Dizzying. So much. So very much. So, I don't know, we talk about themes usually when we do Handmaids, and I guess we could talk about themes here a little bit, but we really only identified one, and it's pervasive pretty much through the entire episode, and that is freedom.
1: Very much so. Just theme.
0: The girls is trying to get themselves free. Yep. It's just about the time they thought they were. That they were getting that freedom,
1: getting to enjoy being frees.
0: Well, some of them. <laughs>
1: yeah, some. Some have I, the freedom from.
0: <laughs> right, <laughs> right. And what they do with their freedom? This is interesting too, because there's some, there's some, there's some hot takes in there. I think.
2: Mhm.
0: I really enjoyed this episode, even though it was super fast. <laughs> I am not sure yet how I feel about the characters that were introduced in this episode, the new characters. I mean, they're all intriguing to some extent. I think the one that I find the less or least I think the, the one that I find the least intriguing at this point is Catherine.
1: Yeah, it feels kind of weird.
0: Well, it's perfect. She's perfect as a mule character for Lydia. Mm-hmm. Since we all know that Mrs. Ms. Quigley is all about defining the weak and the ignorant mm-hmm. or the weak and the naive and using them. So Catherine is a great plot roller, I suppose, for Lydia. Cause apparently we haven't seen the last of that bitch.
1: She ain't going nowhere.
0: Well, not right now anyway. <laughs> Bedlam is horrible. I, I And yes. I do feel a tiny bit bad for Lydia. Until I remember all the rapes that she's orchestrated for money.
1: Yeah, that does tend to make you feel a little bit less bad about the body evacuation.
0: The rapes and the murder.
1: Actually, So much murder.
0: She's, um, Lydia Quigley's a fucking monster. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering if we're going to they're they're introducing Catherine and this is the one thing that I think is interesting about her is that if she's gonna be our eye on what happens, how Lydia got from point A to point B. Maybe. I like because, telling her story. Yeah. And and then using Catherine as a as a creating a better narrative for herself using Catherine. Could be. I mean she I mean, tried
1: with Charlotte.
0: Right. Well, you know, Catherine, the the difference is that Charlotte was not, Charlotte's situation is considerably different, I think, from what Lydia Quigley experienced. Because one of the things that we find out, I think it's in season two, is that Lydia Quigley was sexually abused as a child. Yeah, that would be too. By her father? And then it was facilitated later by his mistress, Mrs. May, who was a courtesan that her father kept. Is that right? After her mother died? It seems to be, yeah. And that's how Lydia got into the businesses that May used Lydia's childhood sexual assault as a way to manipulate her into becoming what Lydia has become. And when Catherine is brought into the cell, I don't know, it all happened so fast, people might have missed it. But Catherine accuses her stepfather of sexual assault. Mm -hmm. It was pretty quick, though. Yeah, it was. So, you know, Lydia, and we all know this, because Lydia has not gotten as far as Lydia has gotten without being very observant of people. Lydia heard that shit right up front Mm -hmm. and knows that she's got a handle on Catherine. So I thought that was interesting. She's going to use Catherine as the key to her freedom. I would expect some manipulations of the good doctor to follow. I wouldn't doubt it. Which Lord help everybody. What I'm interested in finding out is how is this going to play out? So is Lydia going to side with Charlotte to get rid of the pincher boys or are the pincher boys going to finally quit being dicks and side up with Charlotte to get rid of Lydia again? (sighs) So many good choices. (laughs) I know. Right. So the first we confront, I guess is Lydia's freedom, which right now she, I'm perfectly okay with her being in Bedlam.
1: Yeah. Go ahead. Let her be walking around and everything like that, but keep her in Bedlam,
0: Right. That's a good place. It's a good place. So let's talk about Isabella, because I know everybody wants to talk about Lady (laughs) Harlot. Everybody wants to talk about Lady Harlot.
1: I just love her still. I do too. Heart's eyes
0: for her. But I I, want to point out the misnomer. She's not Harlot.
1: No, she is not. Just very supportive of one.
0: Yes. And since we're talking about her and this, I just want to broach this subject, because I don't... It's not that I don't have a horse in this race, but I don't have a horse in this race to the Uh, extent you do. Do you feel like the relationship between her and Charlotte was gay baiting? I don't know.
1: Like it feels like maybe this would like help Mrs. uh, Lady Fitz, you know, feel like she could have sexual relationships or relationships in general with the help of Charlotte. And I mean, we don't know if if their relationship is continued or anything, or if. You know, that was a one-off kind of thing. But if nothing else comes from it, it feels a little, little gay-baity.
0: Does that Just a smidge. While everybody's complaining about the possibility of gay-baity, I would also like to insinuate the possibility of bisexuality. And let's not engage in bi-erasure here. Too true. Because maybe... Fitz and Charlotte, maybe Isabella and Charlotte will have a continued relationship. And maybe Charlotte and Mrs. Fitz or Mrs. Fitz will have relationships with men as Could well. Could be. So let's not jump the gun in one episode. I no. just saw that on on Twitter and a couple other places, and I'm like, oh, please. For the love of all that's holy, can we get a couple episodes into this season? Before we make the decision? Because they've shared a grand total of like 30 seconds of screen time in the entire episode. Mm-hmm.
1: That's why I'm kind of just saying for right now, all I can say is... Yeah, I don't really have a, a, point, a of whole point of view just yet.
0: All right, then. So. There's much an insinuation, but that's about it. Right. But Isabella is certainly still trying to get free of the shadow of her brother.
1: Oh yeah. And it's it's gotta be tough to even if you've got the fortune and everything like
0: that. Well, she's very much raised was very much raised to believe in a certain a certain view of society and its stratifications, which she clearly is trying to resist. But she doesn't see how it applies to herself Mm -hmm. and her own liberation, her own liberty. Which is, I think, what is great about that conversation between her and Nancy Birch. Loved it. Yes.
1: And Nancy, just own your, go ahead, own your stuff. Own it.
0: Yeah, take away their ammunition by, you know, being you. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you had a daughter out of wedlock. Big flippin' deal.
1: You've got money. You've got health.
0: Yep. So you can afford to have a shitty reputation. hmm Like, she literally just sort of like, what do you care? And I, I thought that was really good, and it was interesting to see that Isabella really takes that to heart. Now, her daughter was trying to get her to do the same thing. Yeah. But too little too late for her it she didn't really well i think she's having some trouble like taking wisdom from her daughter yeah and nancy burchis i'm guessing when she's old enough to have some wizenedness about her to be able to state things and people take it with with some grain weight. of salt yeah with some weight to what she has to say which is interesting this episode Nancy is apparently serving as a psychologist for everyone now. <laughs> yeah, seems so. I'm not going to complain. I just, Kate Fleetwood can have all the screen time she wants. Give us all the screen time. I love Nancy Birch. So, yeah. I'm down. I'm yeah. down. I'm good with this.
1: Give her some time and love.
0: Right. I'm all about that. I'm all about Nancy Birch. So we have Isabella's fight for freedom and I love her courage. I think the thing that I admire the most about Isabella is her courage.
1: You know, once she got the advice, it was straight up. Yep. Let's go do this. Mm-hmm. It wasn't waiting or worrying. It was, nope, I got this advice. It makes
0: sense. Let's do it. Right. Right. And we've seen her display this before when she'd take on her brother. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, she's displayed this this serious kind of moral courage on a number of occasions. I love her confrontations with people. Her confrontation with her brother, her confrontations with Lydia. And even in this episode, she just goes to Bedlam, right? And just like, bitch, what are you saying about me?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, granted, it doesn't make very much sense, but...
0: Yeah, but you know, it's hard to say with Lydia because before, Lydia did have kind of a network of supporters. She just has put herself in a position, Lydia has, where she's lost all of her power base. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no way for Isabella not to know that Charlie's not coming in and getting notes from his mother. Yeah. Or being told by his mother to go do these things or, you know, anybody. Could be Lydia's flunky. She's good at flunky. <laughs> She's always good at finding somebody to do her evil deeds. So It's a I joy. Just, yes. Yes. So it's good to see Isabella exercise herself in her freedom without this thing of this yoke of her brother around her neck and the concern for consequences with him who holds her purse strings. Mhm, and the strength of her going out and fighting him too, like that whole bit. Although I'm still a little salty about what she did with her brother at the end of last episode, last season.
2: Mhm.
0: Not gonna lie, I would have liked to have seen him hang. I would have too. So we talked a little bit about Lydia and her freedom. And we've talked a little bit about Isabella and her freedom. Since we talked about them, let's talk about the opposite side of freedom and how that works out a little bit. Let's look at Charles for a hot minute.
1: Yeah. Given his freedom, he went and wasted all of his money. lost golden square. He did.
0: And I think he did it as punishment for having backstabbed his mother. Mm -hmm. Like, it's almost self-abusive what he's done.
1: Yeah. Like, he feels terrible about his mother, but he's gonna take it out on these people who were dependent upon him for their feeding.
0: Yeah, like poor Cherry. Oh, God. Cherry. Who is still, like, kind of got her little horse attached to him. Her little Mm -hmm. cart. Which is sad to me. The cherry she- actually cared about him. Yeah, I honestly think that she cares about him. And he of course actually still cares about Emily, but he's so fucked up because I mean he's Lydia's son, so how could he not be? But
1: Yeah, that's very true.
0: What a mess. Really. Feel really bad for Charles. I'm i I had a fanny my inner fanny moment. I wanted to give him money and give him a hug and buy him lunch too. Yeah.
1: The Fanny, I never realized how much I miss Fanny until this episode.
0: Yeah. She's stepping up and taking a very, a much more active role, I think, in this season. Fanny as a character, more so sort of stepping into Kitty's shoes.
1: Yeah. Like she's taking over what Kitty had been,
0: which mm-hmm. is kind of the leader of the girls, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, she's walked down from wanting to start her own brothel, but she's still becoming the right hand kind of thing.
0: hmm Yep. And she has stepped out. That's kind of given her a sense of freedom, too, because Charlotte actually relies upon her. And her advice is important. And Nancy and Charlotte and even... And even Lucy. Yeah. They all are listening to Fanny more. And giving her a modicum of respect that she wasn't entitled to quote unquote entitled to before, which is good. I like that, that she's kind of coming into her own as a, as a character and as a woman. I like it. Oh, absolutely. I think motherhood suits her to be frank. Out of all the girls, I think motherhood suits her best. She's, I like her. I like her. Mm But poor, But poor Charles. So like he is like struggling with this whole mess that he's the situation he's got himself in. Do you think he was actually going to bedlam or do you think that his mother is seeing him and she is starting to go mad?
1: I think that he was actually there because when he shows up in her mad vision, like when she thinks that she's seeing him as just herself, he's dressed like he is out there in the real world, you know, grungy kind of dirty and everything like that. Why would she assume that he would look like that without
0: her? Right. That's a good that's a good catch. Although, you know, she thinks everybody's grubby, dirty and incompetent when it if she's not directly involved with them. But I guess that's true. At the same time, I think that's a really good catch. That it may in fact be the case. That he is showing up to see his mother. It might be why he can't let go of it either. as he still feels really guilty. Mm. Poor Charles. Mm. I do kind of love that Fanny gave him money. And instead of go drink or gamble or eat. He or buy Emily.
1: Oh, God. Yeah. He
0: runs away. Not
1: sticking around.
0: He runs away. Well- You know,
1: I hope he sticks around a little like we still don't want to lose all our favorite characters.
0: Well, yeah, I think maybe he goes away to come back redeemed or sorted. Maybe he needs some time away to get himself together. Maybe. That's probably a good idea. Sort himself out, which is interesting because we also see another character run away. Which brings us back to Lady Fitz her daughter Sophia eloping with the servant <laughs> with the servant. That's a form of freedom. I suppose it is. She's elopement. She's free to make her own choices with a man far below her station. However, Which at the same, chose. right. But at the same time, she doesn't have much station now that her mother is acknowledged and she's a bastard
1: yeah so it might be better that she made her own choices because I don't think there's going to be too many marriage requests.
0: yeah, at least that marriage request from reputable gentlemen. Not that I'm necessarily sure that this young guy is a reputable uh, is he really in love with her? Is he just bedazzled by how pretty she is, or is he looking at Mrs. Fitz's money? I don't know. this is a question. Right, because he doesn't even have a name yet. No, he just there. He's just the dude with the thing, and then you left with her and a cart. I'm okay, and he was, you know, definitely coming onto her. He put that he put that bee in her bonnet.
1: He did very hard.
0: He did. He did. So that was interesting. I thought another exercise of freedom, and interesting how those two children, right of women who've been through quite a lot and maybe are not all together, all together, <laughs> run away. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Sophia because I'm sure she's not done either. We'll see her and I bet we see Charles
2: mm-hmm.
0: at some point again. So I think we will be good. It'll be interesting to see what they bring back from their trips. I'm guessing... Isabella is going to be fit to be tied when she finds out that her daughter has left.
1: Yeah. She didn't look exactly too pleased.
0: And she read which, that note. Which I wish we could have read. I know. Why didn't we get a note reader? Probably because, and for those of you who didn't notice, the show with all the commercial breaks is about 48 minutes. There is literally 47 scenes. <laughs> I I felt so bad for you. Don't know how many, how they could have crammed any more anything in this episode. Anywhere. And I don't want to hear a single complaint about pacing. God,
1: no, please.
0: Because you are wrong. Mm. You're wrong. If you didn't, like, if the pacing was too slow, you are wrong. Just gonna put that out there. Wrong. (laughs)
1: There is a lot of movement in this. Mm -hmm. Just bouncing.
0: So then we have Charlotte. Mm -hmm. Who thought she was free. Because Lydia was gone. She let down her garden. What happens now? She's got man pimps. Indeed she does. She has the unpleasant experience of the Pincher brothers. Who... Yay, Alfie! <laughs> I know, I know, I'm so
1: psyched! He got his manhood back.
0: He does! He does! So happy. So happy for him. He has his special purpose back. And, <laughs> and he's using it! I have a feeling he's gonna make up for a whole lot of lost Theon time. Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa,
1: whoa.
0: <laughs> um, but I thought he was interesting and good. I think, it's going to be really hard for them to use him to the full extent they might have because we've seen him play pretty fucked up character. I had mentioned to my son after watching this episode that he reminded me in this episode a little bit of Reek playing Theon Greyjoy. Hmm. I don't know. We'll just have to see. I don't think it's a bad thing, but what I mean is that it's like not a full force performance. You know what I mean? Maybe because he's coming off a, a pretty emotionally exhausting and draining.
2: Oh, yeah, run. absolutely.
0: It put Kit Harrington in the mental hospital. It did. And Jon Snow did not lose his special purpose. He did not. Did yeah. not lose a toy. And didn't have his name changed and have to sleep with dogs that ate people. Yeah. So. So. Yeah. But I thought he was fantastic. And I love his versatility. I love the seeing the smirks and the other facial expressions he's so freaking good at in a completely different context. Mm-hmm and i i'm going to not i'm going to say i am a tad bit sympathetic to him a little i mean from what we've seen i feel worse for hal though cuz he's got the double he he's got the double poisons he's putting his penis in emily lacey and despite the fact that i love that character with all of my entire soul mm-hmm. she's a black hole she kind of is yeah and then he's got this brother Isaac,
1: who is a madman. Just pushing and pushing and pushing. Yes. I
0: feel a little bad. I feel a little worse for Hal Pinscher. Yeah. He's going to be hurting cats with these two, I fear. And then Emily
1: getting her new keeper. So she I can learn her. commerce.
0: I love her. Emily has also gotten her freedom. She doesn't have a pimp. And she doesn't have a bod. She has a keeper. She thinks she's traded up. We'll find out. Oh, boy. <laughs> you know, with Emily, it only ever goes from bad to worse.
1: Yeah, it does. I wonder yes. how she feels about, um, you know, having gone from being a bot of her own house to suddenly working again, though.
0: Well, you notice she started sleeping with the pimp like on the regular right away because she wanted to establish her hierarchy. And I love that head swingy hand on the sh- on the hip thing she says to Charlotte or to Lucy about "I run all these girls for the pinchers. Like, oh, mm-hmm.
1: please. oh, absolutely, oh,
0: please. Emily, you and your imaginations of grandeur, insanity. I wonder if we're getting set up for Emily Lacey to shoot. Lydia Quigley.
1: I don't know. There's a lot of gun referencing in
0: this. Isn't there? I kind of like it. And then it's Emily, who has spent the better part of two seasons avoiding consequences (laughs) and avoiding dealing with Lydia Quigley directly. Oh, absolutely. I, I almost wonder if we're not getting a little bit of foreshadowing that she might put a hole in Quigley. I'm my fingers are crossed. Or
1: maybe in one of the pimps. Yeah.
0: I can't. I don't think it's probably good for anyone. I think that Emily Lacey should be blacklisted from guns. <laughs> probably. <laughs> I love her, though. She has the best one liners in the whole show. She does. Her and Nancy Birch actually get the best of them. Like, that is where the real tongue and cheek comedy comes in is from the two of them. Oh, absolutely. So there's Emily's freedom. If it indeed is freedom, we'll find out. She seems to think she is going to be able to manipulate Chadwick pretty well. Yeah. At uh, At least she seems to think so. Yeah. I think that's interesting. And then Charlotte. And her repeated attempts to get free yeah uh, she's
1: like well now i'm a bod you know and she hasn't had anybody in her bed and she makes the freedom choice to the choice she has the freedom of choice to decide to do this granted just yeah. go out well but
0: yeah it ends up kind of shitty i feel a little bad for her about that i wonder if she's attracted to him because he's like that irish guy that poet she oh, was involved with yeah. she's That's got a weak
1: spot weak spots for poets
0: weeks but yeah for poetic fellows because she does seem to be a little interested in him
1: yeah because she did go back to him to talk to him when the house was burning
0: yeah and it was interesting he didn't get all whatever with her he just told her to run home because he knew and then he and i think he felt bad about what he did
1: kind of yeah he like put his head uh his forehead on her shoulder for a minute
0: yeah, he looked a little anguished about that he had done this, that he had made these mistakes, but he didn't know how to back himself out of it. He's kind of like her mother in a pants. Yeah. <laughs> I just said a bad thing about Margot Wells. I'm sorry, but I did. But it is a little bit. It is a little bit. Just oh, a smidge. Margaret, you know, running in and doing things, and then later going, oh, shit, what have I done? No wonder Mr. North is like, nah, I'm off the box now. Fuck off. Yeah, and he took the boy. You girls are not right in the head, but interesting. Interesting, interesting. And how far is she willing to go? So, like, this is a whole different set of circumstances in dealing with Lydia Quigley. Quite so. Quite so. And then Lucy's freedom.
2: She's opening a Molly boy house.
0: Yeah. She is, and she's in a three-way pact with the devil. She doesn't even know it. She doesn't. It's just... But she will be free from being a prostitute now. She'll get to be a bod instead, which she definitely wants. But I wonder if she has mentally prepared herself for being a bod any more than she was mentally prepared for being a prostitute.
1: I don't think she is.
0: And a Molly Boy house is a big deal. Yeah. A lot of like, people...
1: like Charlotte had said, those end with a hanging in the
0: Yeah. Homosexuality was punishable by death in England at the time. Mm-hmm. Buggery and law. It, yep. And anybody involved in the procurement for the purposes of homosexual activity was also sus- subject to the death penalty. Mm -hmm. so she's really kind of put herself in a pretty hairy position i don't know if maybe that ties into her apparent sexual gratification from risk and fear because she's not getting it anymore yeah yeah i'm glad though because i didn't i wasn't shipping that
1: i had awkward feelings about fallon but it's better off this way
0: yeah i wasn't shipping that because he was fucked up. Oh, yeah. And not just a little bit, a lot. So I'm kind of glad that that went the way it did. I, I was hoping he was going to die, but I'm glad that it's that's over. Because Lucy needs to figure out who she is outside of sex. And I think maybe that will be the thing that will be good about this episode or this season with her as a bot of a Molly house. She might actually get to figure that out. Maybe.
1: I don't
0: know. There's Precision hope. Person. All right. So I love that, that she's kind of te- tenuously right now got her freedom. Although Bet and her son seem to think they're going to be able to manipulate her. I love them, though. I do. I, I love do. them so much. I do. I'm waiting for Bet and Harriet to get a whiff of each other because Harriet is it seems to me a far more balanced and egalitarian version of Lydia Quigley. Like she understands class, mm-hmm. like being classy. I don't mean like, and maybe the other two, the stratification of class. She really understands it fairly intimately. I love that conversation at her house where she has with the girls and they're like, yeah, well, whatever. We just do bed sport. And she's like, no, if we want the clientele we want. We have to give them more.
1: Yeah, give them something that they're not getting. Right. Otherwise, they'll pay for, you know, what they'll be willing to get. Right. Just out on the street. And that's not what they want.
0: Right. I really like that. And I love Harriet's endeavors in that regard. She's trying so hard. And she's smart. She is so smart. So I, you know, I like it. And I love that she's, brought in this brothel of women of color and is using, you know, it is like embracing that about all of them. Oh, yeah. The best. I really hated Ledson's remark about her being dusky because it just proves that people, even from a certain, even when they have supposed manners and class and all the rest of it are just vile. So much so. It was just... And then in Marvel that they could do Shakespeare.
1: Yeah, and then you just watched her face. Just... Yeah.
0: Yeah, that was a thing. But I like Harriet's character. I've liked her from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really kind of rooting for Harriet, too. Yeah, me
2: too.
0: Most depth. I'm not trying to think about anybody else's freedom.
1: Nancy, in a little bit, she's got the freedom to to talk and react how she wants to, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like she talks about, she finally talks about love.
0: Yeah, she does. I think her confession to M- Margaret, the you know the jailhouse confession about love, being in love with her.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think that really sort of helped. Nancy,
1: like almost free her, kind of in a way.
0: Yeah, and and now she can she can give again, which makes it interesting. Is she gonna fall in love? Oh, maybe. Wouldn't that be beautiful? I would be so happy to see Nancy Birch happy. I like this idea. Mm-hmm. She seems happy though. She loves baby kitty. Oh my god, oh, my she's goodness. so great with her. <laughs>
1: She does love the singing and everything. And oh, I'm just like...
0: I had no idea Kate Fleetwood had such a lovely voice. I know! I had no clue! I <sighs> I fangirl pretty hard for Kate Fleetwood, not gonna lie. The same. She's my lady crush in this show. Everyone else can have all the other lady crushes. My lady crush is Nancy Birch. <laughs> I like her gender queer bullshit. I love it. I mm-hmm. love it. She wears pants and a tricorn and gives no fucks.
1: Precisely. <laughs> I Just love, love it. it. So much awesomeness. Yes.
0: Very much. Very, very much. So what do we think about the Pinscher brothers? Do you think they're a net negative or no? Uh, I, I, I mean, I pimps know. in general are bad people. Don't get me wrong. Oh, yeah.
1: And it, it it seems more like they're trying to get as much territory as possible rather than they're doing it because, you know, they're worried about the girls or something.
0: Yes. They want to make a bunch of money on other people's labor, which, as a socialist, I find highly offensive. Mm-hmm. I... <clears throat> I don't like that part of it, but I'm wondering if they actually have the moral the moral conviction to do what needs to be done. Because obviously, like when they have the conversation about this and Isaac says, well, I can't rightly buy Charlotte flowers and go and apologize. Now, can I? Mm-hmm. And Hal says, no, you can't. It's too late for that, but you need to fix it. Do whatever you have to to get it sorted.
1: Oh, yeah. Especially the you've got you've got to do something.
0: And so he goes and does it, and then has has guilt and remorse about it right away. It's like I don't know.
1: I'm gonna have to see more of it for them. Me too. I
0: think they added
1: judgments on too many people yet.
0: Right. I think they do add an interesting narrative to the story. And it's more realistic because this is something that was, and always is for female sex workers, as struggle, is independence versus being forced into a pimping system that is exploitative. Oh, absolutely. So I think it's a good thing that we have here with this. And to to shift for maybe a season or whatever, away from the ways in which the women are exploitive, towards each other because we've already seen that. Lydia Quigley is horrible.
1: Oh, yeah. There's no doubt on that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But now to see it from the other side of it and how women respond to it. And I think it'll be interesting. That may set the tone for what happens when Lydia returns. The only thing that concerns me is that I hope whatever deal that Charlotte makes with Lydia, she understands that at the end of the day Lydia is a far worse wolf, and mean, we might have to her.
1: see we may not uh know if the uh, brothers aren't going to be a worse foe true
0: true I don't know they haven't we don't we don't see any children in the bar yet, not yet. <laughs> Oh, Lydia, Lydia Quigley, you evil bitch. (laughs) And I want to bring up something interesting that I picked up on the episode, which I don't know if anybody else did. I'm sure some other people did. But the use of Shakespeare. A lot of it, yeah. You can tell Lydia came from an upbringing much like Sophia's. Of wealth and privilege, right? She mm-hmm. had important family, but she has fallen, right? And this, is, I think, is why what it explains Lydia's fascination with Isabella and wanting to take her down is that she sees her as somebody who is like her, but managed to not get trapped in the same webs.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you know,
0: that. yeah. So Lydia's command of the Tempest... Just reciting pieces of the Tempest to keep herself sane.
1: Yeah, because there's really, like she says, the days just start to blend together and you're not really sure how long you've been somewhere.
0: Yeah. And I I love that she's doing this and that she is retreating to to that part of herself. Mm -hmm. Maybe that'll be good in the end. I don't know. She does admit to Catherine that she was prideful, right? Arrogant.
1: Mm-hmm. But she she scopes that as good things.
0: Uh, yeah, kind of. She does, because it's Lydia. You know, you got to spin shit, whatever way you're going to spin it. But it's interesting. And I, I thought that was a cool use of Shakespeare, for her to use it as sort of this way of keeping herself sane. And then Harriet's use of it. Mm-hmm. To try to appear as well
1: mannered and forward as possible.
0: Yeah. And, and, and that she offers something that breaks stereotypes about women of color, people of mm-hmm. color, that they're uneducated and they're uncouth and that they are classless. You know, they don't have style or class or manners or any of those things. And she really wants to challenge that because, of course, she is a classy lady. Oh,
1: she's so classy. She learned so much.
0: Mhm. Yep. So it's interesting. I like that. I've been in, I enjoyed that there was so much Shakespeare. And I wonder what the meanings of the plays are. I haven't given it a lot of thought, and if anybody out there is listening wants to give us some insight on why it might be the tempest that Lydia Quigley is focused on.
1: Could also look to why um, it would be so important for the for Cleopatra.
0: And yeah, I was just gonna say, and then like why Anthony and Cleopatra is a story that Harriet would explore. Mm-hmm. Other than, of course, you know, it's supposed to be an epic romance, right, between Anthony and Cleopatra. But is there other? Is there some other symbolic or Shakespearean? Thematic reason that we might be getting these two plays in particular. Because mm-hmm. I think they're interesting. I think it's interesting the use of Shakespeare in this. Maybe it'll keep showing up. Who knows? It might. It might. It might. So I think that's like all the best themes. I think so. I want to say, um, a little disappointed with the reddit for harlots you guys are not posting much <laughs> i mean we got some
1: cute pictures and things but so far no and it's yeah. i kind of hope you guys will get back into the swing of it i love looking at everybody's everybody's art and everybody's just thoughts and things i don't know maybe they're just hoping for more episodes or they're just going to not bring up anything until they get a few more
0: yeah maybe maybe they're just holding out more activity on the show or maybe the show is as dazzling to them as us and they have to watch it a couple more times. Holy crap, it was really really fast paced. Oh god, yeah. So I'm, but I feel really good about it. There's been some great press. Mm-hmm. People really are talking. really good press, better press than we have seen for handmade sale for sure. Mm-hmm. All the way around yes so i'm hoping that it maintains this standard that has been set by the seasons previous because you know i really think these two shows are two of the best shows for women going right now
1: i would not disagree with that sucker
0: i have to watch big little lies and i will eventually get caught up on that as well but I'm supposed to watch Gentleman Jack, and I haven't gotten there yet. Yes, and I have heard that too, And I, I, but we're so caught up in this right now that it's kind of where we're at. But, yeah, I'm a sucker, as we, we've discussed before, for costume dramas, and Gentleman Jack is highly intriguing to me, but in the midst of everything else we're doing right now, I just can't commit mm-hmm. to it later. We'll watch that.
1: Yeah, just got to wait for that.
0: But I really enjoyed it. I'm, I think it was a, a successful first episode. It certainly had good pacing. We did get to see pretty much, I think, all of the major actors of this season, people that we're uh, going to be dealing with. I am looking forward to when we get reintroduced to Violet, Amelia, and Mrs. Scanwell, Florence.
1: Oh, I'm hoping they'll be in this season. Otherwise, that's just disappointing.
0: Yeah, I want them to come back because I want to know what's going on there. I want to know how Violet and Amelia are getting on now. There was definitely some tension between Amelia and Violet over the magistrate.
1: Yeah, so, well, they they better cover it, I swear.
0: Yeah, I want to know what's going on. Because they can't just up and disappear.
1: No, they can't. It would
0: make no sense. But everybody else, we pretty much got a big, huge dip. And then introduction of some new characters who look to be interesting.
1: Very interesting. I want to see how it all goes.
0: I can't wait to see Bent and Leto, like, in action. I wonder if our
1: favorite Molly boy is going to come back for this season.
0: I don't know. I hope so. But I have fear he might be dead. Yeah, he might be.
1: I guess we'll have to find out. They might mention it the with the whole starting of the Molly boy house. She might mention it in, like, an
0: odd way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see what happens. But that was our wrap and our take on episode one, season three of Harlots. Mm-hmm. And we don't have a classy sign-off for this. We yet. we
1: don't. So come up with something for us people.
0: We'll think of something. We will. I have to work on getting some music. I mean, I have music for the titling of this, but I'm not pleased with any of it. I may force my one of my roommates into doing some recording. how dare so that we can have a recording of my thing as my own that I don't have to pay anybody for oh that'd be great because I'd like to be able to use my thing as my own
1: that would be great I love that song
0: I know you do so (laughs) that's it for this week and we will see you next week yeah we'll see you then can't
1: wait to see ya Bye. bye bye
0: That's a wrap on another episode of Handmaids and Harlots. The music for today's show was provided by Kevin McLeod at freepd.com and his song Barroom Ballet. If you would like to leave us feedback or give us ideas for topics on the show, please feel free to contact us through Twitter at HandmaidsH or directly through Gmail at handmaids_nharlots at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed the show thus far, please don't forget to subscribe and smash the like button wherever it is that you find us. Until next time, remember, your thing is your own.